I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. We're going to spend time this morning, verses 32 through 49, and we'll also sneak back to the Old Testament, Psalm 22 as well this morning as we walk through this passage of Scripture. As we continue on in our series called Seven Last Words, the last seven things that Jesus said while He was on the cross. Parents, I want us to unite a little bit this morning. You willing to do that with me? A little solidarity on this time change Sunday. How many of you have ever had to look away or walk away from one of your children? You were disciplining them in the moment and they got incredibly dramatic in their explanation of what they did, and you just kind of had to turn your head because you were laughing inside. You didn't want that to come out. Or maybe you were in the grocery store, and one of your kids in the middle of the aisle pitching a fit, and you just turned around and walked away. Some of you are laughing. Some of you are like, did you see me this week, Pastor? (laughs) You know, as we think about it, there's moments, sometimes funny moments, where we do just that. And yet, some of us may have come in and your childhood was not that great. When we talk about a parent walking away, that hits home for you because a dad or a mom actually walked away abandoned you. Have you ever felt like God's done that to you? Have you ever at times in your lives felt like God has been silent? That God has abandoned you in this moment, whatever the circumstance around it looks like, but you felt in that moment that you are absolutely, utterly alone. What we're going to see this morning in Matthew chapter 27 is Jesus make a statement to this fact. And I want us to unpack that together and I want us to look and to ask the question, why would Jesus say to the Father, why have you forsaken me? What did he mean by that? How does that impact our lives as we think about our Savior on the cross making that statement? What does it all mean? I want to read the text for us this morning, and then I want us to walk back through it together. As we look at this account from Matthew's gospel, we've looked at Luke's gospel account of Jesus' crucifixion. We've spent time in John's gospel account as well. But this morning, I want us to look at Matthew's account, beginning in verse 32 of Matthew chapter 27. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, They offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king 
of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them ran at once and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Don't forget where we are in the, we come to the text this morning. We've been walking our way through Jesus' last words on the cross. We've spent three weeks looking at those final phrases that Jesus spoke as he was hanging there on the cross, paying for our sin. We looked at the very first week and we saw Jesus crying to his father and saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Jesus in his heart knowing that his sacrifice on the cross would make it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins. Not only did we look at that, we saw Jesus also speak to one of the robbers who we encounter in the text. If you notice, isn't it interesting that in Matthew's gospel account, he gives us what happened prior to One of the thieves on the cross saying to Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. Both of them were deriding him. Both of them were cursing him. But one, as we saw in week two, recognized that Jesus was the Son of God and placed his faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And Jesus made this promise to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And then last week, we looked at Jesus instituting what we call the family of God as he is looking at his mother who is by the cross, as he's looking at John, his disciple, and he says to his mother, this is now your son, to John, this is now your mother. And now we come to this phrase in verse 46 of Matthew chapter 27. 
This phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, this is one of those passages of Scripture that oftentimes will bring you to a point of puzzlement. Wondering what's going on theologically here. How do we unpack this? How do we understand what Jesus is saying in this moment? And then what what impact does that have on us? If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that'll frame our time together this morning in the text. And it's this truth. Never doubt in the dark what you've seen in the light. Never doubt in the dark what you have seen in the light. We're going to unpack that here in just a minute, but I want you to notice three realities in the text this morning as we consider what Jesus is saying here. Now, let's paint the big picture of what's going on theologically in this moment. For Jesus at this point, he has taken the sin of the world upon himself. Your sin, my sin, on the cross, the reason that Jesus goes to the cross is to pay the debt that we owe because of our sin. If you go back all the way to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, what you see is that Adam and Eve in the garden enjoyed perfect fellowship with their heavenly Father. That for Adam and Eve in the garden, they had a right relationship with God. They were walking with God as we were intended to walk with Him. But Genesis chapter 3, everything changes. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that Adam and Eve, having been told by God that they could eat of any tree in the garden except this one tree, chose to eat of the tree that God had told them not to eat of. And in that moment, their relationship with God was crushed. In that moment, spiritually, they were dead. Not only were they dead spiritually, but they would die physically as well. That is the curse that every single one of us has inherited. That sin nature that separates us from God that can only be overcome by Jesus on the cross. And so in this moment, as Jesus is on the cross, He is paying our sin debt. All of God's judgment and wrath poured out on His Son against our sin. Remember, as we talked before, Jesus was the perfect righteous one. Jesus had no sin, never sinned. He was the only sacrificial lamb who was perfect and could take our sin upon Himself and pay for them. And so in this moment, Jesus absorbing the full wrath and punishment for our sin on the cross makes this statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, some have tried to whitewash what's going on here. 
Some have said, well, Jesus is not really meaning this. I mean, God really doesn't turn his back on his son. It's just kind of figurative language so that we could understand how bad it was there on the cross. But I want you to notice that in this moment, Jesus, in this dark moment, feels as though the Father has turned his face from him. The darkness in this moment is real. I want to think about that for just a second as we look at our own lives. I want you to know that darkness is real in our lives as well. That's the first reality I want you to write down. The darkness is real. We experience moments in our lives where it feels like God is absent, where it feels like God is silent, where it feels like maybe God has turned his face from us, maybe God has turned his back on us, maybe God has just washed his hands and said, I'm done with you. There's moments in our lives where we feel that where we encounter what we would say are dark seasons in our lives, dark seasons spiritually where we wonder, is God really there at all? One of the things that I love about the scriptures is that it doesn't whitewash those moments. You go all the way back into the book of Genesis and you see those moments play out in God's people's lives. Just take, for example, Joseph. Joseph, who is sold into slavery by his brothers after they had perpetrated a crime against him. Who's thrown into prison and falsely accused. But listen, at the end of Joseph's life, he's able to look back on it and say what they meant for evil, God meant for good. But, but I want you to hear that. There was a season of darkness in Joseph's life. Now you may look and you say, Michael, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've experienced one of those. Maybe it's a medical diagnosis. Maybe it's the loss of a family member, a loved one. Maybe it's the loss of a job. It's something that you are walking through. And as we sang about just a little bit ago, it's a valley that you are in in the moment. One of the beautiful things about God's word is it doesn't whitewash those moments. It doesn't say to us as believers, hey, it's not, it's not real. And regardless of what some TV preacher may say, your life after becoming a follower of Jesus is not going to be easy. You don't have all good times You walk through seasons of struggle. All of God's people throughout Scripture, His early church, all of the disciples walk through moments of struggle, moments of darkness, moments where they looked and wondered, is God really there? Has He stopped speaking? Has He turned His back on me? Jesus here on the cross makes this statement, my God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? The truth is, the darkness is real. 
Now here's the thing. If we just stop there, we all go home depressed on this Sunday. If we just stop there and say, man, what'd your pastor preach about this Sunday? He just said the darkness is real. Boy, isn't that exciting to go into Monday with, right? But I want you to notice this morning that even though the darkness is real, take note of this second reality, the light of truth always invades the darkness. The darkness is real, but the light of truth always invades the darkness. You see, as a teenager, as a young adult, reading through this passage of Scripture, having conversations with people about what's actually going on in the text, I looked at this passage not knowing where it fit in to the rest of Scripture. I looked at this passage and I thought, man, what a depressing statement for Jesus to make here. For Jesus to say in this moment as he is paying for our sins on the cross that his father turns his back on him. I mean, you look at that and you think, man, that's hard to swallow. But then there's a moment that changed all of it. When I realized that Jesus here in making this statement is not making a statement that is divorced from the rest of Scripture. In fact, Jesus here is quoting from Psalm 22. So I want you to write in your Bible beside this verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. Because Jesus here is quoting from that psalm. And the reason why I say the light of truth always invades the darkness is because of that reality. Now here's the thing. Matthew is writing this gospel account primarily to a Jewish audience. To a Jewish audience that it would have been very familiar with the Old Testament. It's the reason as you read through Matthew's gospel account, you'll see him oftentimes referring back to Old Testament passages of Scripture that impact what's going on in Jesus' life and his ministry. He's always taking their attention and saying, hey, look back. Look back. What Jesus is doing here, look back at when this was prophesied. What Jesus is saying here, look back at what he's talking about as it impacts us from the Old Testament. And this is the exact same thing here as Jesus makes this statement in Matthew's gospel account. As he's on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want us to look back briefly at Psalm 22. Psalm chapter 22 A psalm of David, a psalm of David when he was running for his life. A psalm of David when David was experiencing what we just talked about, one of those dark seasons in his life when God had made a promise to him that he would be king. And yet at this point in time, he is running literally for his life. 
Saul is trying to kill him and David pins under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit this psalm. Notice verse one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus' statement on the cross was pointing back to Psalm 22. It's the reason my encouragement to you and our pattern here at North River Church is to walk through a New Testament book of the Bible. To walk through a series, something like what we're doing here where we may look at various passages of Scripture, but then to go to an Old Testament book of the Bible because I believe we need both the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is all of God's Word here. And here we see this beautiful connection that as Jesus is on the cross, as He makes this statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You go back to Psalm 22 and you realize that David had penned this beforehand. Let's keep going. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day. Listen to this. But you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Man, if you stop there, we're back to point one. Reality number one. The darkness is real. Let's go home. You look at what David's saying here and you're like, Pastor, it didn't get much better. I mean, he just expounded on that. He just said here, not only, God, why have you forsaken me, but why are you far from saving me? Why are you not even listening to me? You're not even responding when I'm crying out to you. I want you to notice verse three. It's the reason the main idea is what it is. Yet, you are holy. God, I feel abandoned. I feel forsaken. I feel like you're not hearing me. I feel like this valley I'm walking through, I'm all alone. Yet, you are holy. Enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. What's interesting as you walk through this psalm, it's that back to back to back to back. It's David saying in the first part of the verses. God, I feel like you've abandoned me. And in the second part of the verses, but God, I know who you are. God, I feel like you're silent, but God, I know your character. God, I feel like you're not doing anything, but God, I know what you've done. Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Bringing a 
very harsh reality to what he was walking through in this moment. Exemplifying for us as he is paying for our sins on the cross as the sinless one. That that moment was dark. But as he quotes Psalm 22 verse 1, he has in mind what follows from David here. You see, in this moment, David is saying, I don't know where you are, God. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why it feels like you're not responding to me. I don't know why it feels like in this moment you're not doing what you promised to do. And at some point in time, we've all felt that. We've all as believers experienced that. We've all walked through those seasons. Oftentimes, church, it's seasons like that that cause people simply to walk away from the Lord and say, I don't want anything to do with Him. To walk through a season of difficulty, a season of grief, a season of loss, and just to say, I don't want any part of God as a result of what I'm experiencing. But for David in this moment, in Psalm 22, for Jesus as he is on the cross, quoting Psalm 22 verse 1, what he is reminding us is this reality. The main idea, don't doubt in the dark what you've seen in the light. The truth is, every single one of us will walk through dark seasons in our lives, moments where we feel like God is silent, or God is not at work, or God has abandoned us. But I want you, like David here, like Jesus on the cross, to cling to the truth of who God is and what He has done. In the darkness, don't lose sight of what you know you've seen in the light. David here in Psalm 22 looks and says, God, it seems like you're not at work, but I know who you are. God, I know what you've done in the past. And I know that even though I am walking through a dark season right now, I know that you've not abandoned me or forsaken me. I know that you've not turned your back on me. I know who you are and what you've done. There's moments in the dark where we need to be reminded of what we've seen in the light. One of the struggles is that oftentimes in the dark, we lose sight of what we've seen in the light. That it is so painful in that moment, it is so dark, it is so bleak that we forget what God has done. We forget what God has done in our lives. We forget what God has done in the course of human history for His name and for His glory and for His people. And so as I've told you before, church, you've come in this morning and you are either right now in the season of darkness, walking through a difficult time, wondering, same thing that David was wondering, is God at work 
Is God speaking? Is he silent? Has he abandoned me? Some of you are getting ready to walk into one of those seasons. Some of you have come out on the back end of one of those seasons. And what I want you to remember is that Jesus in a very similar season doesn't throw his hands up in the air and say, I'm done. In fact, Jesus in a similar season looks at Psalm 22 verse one and says, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the rest of Psalm 22 reminds us of who God is. That in the darkness, God can be trusted. That in the season of difficulty that God is able to provide, that in the season of struggle, God is able to sustain us. One of the difficult things as we walk through those seasons in our lives is that we often experience spiritual amnesia. We forget what God has done in us and through us. Which is one of the reasons that I would encourage you, even as we sit here right now, that one of the practices in my own life is journaling. Just simply writing down the things that God is doing. You know, it's funny as you walk through journals from the last 12, 15 years, where there's seasons where I look and feel like God is not working. Seasons where I look and think, God, are you, are you here? God, are you doing anything? God, it feels like you're being silent. To be able to look back at those seasons and as I write out in the journals, it may be a year or two years down the road to look and to be able to trace God's hand at work even through that dark season. Some of you have walked through those dark seasons in your life and have seen God's hand at work and you need to be the tool that God uses to encourage another believer in this body. Let's be honest with each other. We all walk through difficult seasons. We all walk through struggles in our lives and we need one another in the body of Christ to be able to walk through those seasons and to make it out on the other side. God has done a work in your life that needs to be shared. God has done a work in the dark seasons in your life that you can give Him praise. That there is someone in this body or maybe a friend extended outside of this body that needs to hear the testimony of what God has done. That even in the darkness, God was working. So we look back at Matthew chapter 27. I want you to notice the third reality. We have a Savior who has walked this road before us. You and I are not alone. You and I are not walking this journey if we're going through a difficult season by ourselves. In fact, we're able to look at our Savior We're able to see that he has walked this road before us. He is able to identify with us in our moments 
of desperation and weakness and darkness because he's been there. He's walked through it. He knows what it's like. He knows that even when it seems dark that the truth, the light is still shining in the darkness. I want to ask you if you bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes as our worship team makes their way back up. You may have come in this morning and you would easily say, Michael, I feel like I'm walking in the darkness right now. Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, you're wondering, is God at work? Is God going to come through? Has he turned his back on me? This morning, the step for you is to cling to the truth of who God is and what he's done. As we sang earlier, we're going to sing our way out of the valley. That's what it's about. That in the darkness, we're reminded of what we've seen in the light. That we cling to the truth of who God is and what he's done, not only in our lives individually, but across human history. You have a Savior this morning who identifies with you, who has experienced what you are experiencing, who stands ready with arms open wide to encourage you and uplift you, to help you see the light in the darkness. Maybe this morning for you, This is an opportunity for you to come down to this altar and to spend some time on your knees before the Lord in prayer. To cry out with David, to cry out with Jesus, God, it feels like you've abandoned me, but I, but I trust you. It feels like you're silent, but I know you speak through your word. It feels like you've turned your back on me, but... Your word says you never leave us or forsake us. And God, though I can't see it right now, I'm clinging to the truth in the darkness. Maybe for you this morning as we have this opportunity to respond to the Lord, you have never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior of experiencing what it means to have your sin forgiven, to be brought into right relationship with God. Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross so that you could have eternal life and abundant life with him. Maybe this morning you need to respond and receive that gift of salvation. 
Father, we come to you now and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the sober reminder that the darkness is real. That we can't sugarcoat living in a broken world. But what we can do, Father, is cling to the truth of who you are, of what you've done, to trust you even in the darkness. Father, for those that are here this morning that are walking through that season of darkness right now, would you help them to grab a hold of the truth of who you are and what you've done, that that light would shine in the darkness in their life right now, that they would respond, that they would come down here, kneel before you, cry out to you. Father, for those that have never taken that step of trusting Jesus as their Savior, would you give them the courage to take that step today, to receive the gift of salvation offered to them? We ask that in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you if you stand. Myself and Pastor Aaron will be down front. If we could pray with you this morning. Just to encourage you, if you're walking through a season of darkness right now, we would love to do that. If you just want to come and spend some time in prayer before the Lord, I'd invite you to do that as well. If you need to take that step of trusting Jesus as your Savior, we'd love to walk you through that. You respond as you sing this morning.